Okay, so this is well, What the Heck, Richard Dweck. Uh, I'm here with Angelo Gingerelli. Uh, you see, close enough. Uh, I'm here with Angelo Gingerelli. He has a, uh, he was on earlier, a couple of episodes. Uh, he is a pretty huge uh, part of the scene. He, uh, he's run a bunch of shows since, you know, six years ago, right? Yeah, I guess, I guess more, because I guess 2013 was my first kind of entrance in the Park, so now it's 2021, so that's seven, eight years ago at this point. Uh, yeah, man, but this, am I the first second guest you've had, or your repeat guest? Uh, uh no, uh, Caprio? that was Caprio, okay. yeah. It's good company to be in the office, Yeah, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's always so interesting to look back on, because when I started in 2011... I was like, okay, I'm going to find a way to do it, stand up right away. I was like, there's, I'll do this improv thing, it's fine, you know, it's doable, I know the guy, but my main love, my main thing that I wanted to do was stand up, so it's very weird to like look back, but it really didn't, the scene didn't start until, I guess, 2014-ish, and then I got in in 2015, so it was like, you know, it's kind of like it went away from me for a bit, I got lost in the improv world. And I was like, oh, I'm just stuck doing this. And then Mike was like, we have, you know, people coming to do stand if you want to do it. How did that scene all, like, migrate from, like, like, were there, where were the mics early on? Like, I know you had one. Right. I'll, I'll be honest, man. There weren't that many down here at all. Um, I moved down from North Jersey in 2012, and there wasn't that much stuff going on. Taylor Allen had a monthly kind of like showcase at the Saint which was cool yeah and then I had a monthly showcase at the showroom theater which was cool and then right after that in early 2014 we had a mic at Bank on Madison which unfortunately shut down uh, changed owners a couple times and now it's just not open at all uh, Chris Covert who's a good guy I was kind of doing stuff down here in Red Bank had a, a mic at the Dublin House uh, monthly or maybe bi-weekly and besides that there was like little things that would spring up here and there uh, the Inkwell Coffee Shop kind of thing yeah. where we are right now I like a, there was a bunch of uh, like poetry comedy uh, music mics like Chris Rockwell did a bunch right. of those but as far as dedicated comedy mics there really weren't that many until like you said about 2014 2015 yeah. Chris, then, that's so weird to hear those different names like Chris Rock, Rockwell I met doing shows, uh, like, not shows, but mics, uh, I forget where they were, pretty long, driest, like, I don't know where they were, but, uh, I, I, I would say, me, I would say me and Chris, we're, we're good friends, right? I what think was the one that he, kinda, what was the one that he did with Mark, that Mark, uh, That was the Henley? last riot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say one way to look at it is me and him are both kind of based in Tom's River, but yeah. he kind of goes Tom's River and south, and I kind of go Tom's River and north, and then between us, we got to cover Ocean and Monmouth County. But uh, he was one of the first people, really, I mean, to, to really open up a, a mic in, in coffee shops and a Mexican restaurant, just different places down in the Tom River area to performing. And then that kind of led into some more dedicated comedy mics after that. Right. Uh, so with the scene all starting and everything, like, I, I know, I don't, I didn't phrase this correctly and you kind of, like, you made a joke about it, which was fine. But like... There was an, I think it was to cool wet it, it was a grassroots thing. It was a struggle to get shows on. And, like, not really your fault, just, like, things happen. Was there a period where that became too complicated for you or disheartening? Or, like, you, you know, were like, it, you know, what, it, it fuck did, this? No, I never I never had that attitude, right? And I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a weird guy for a stand-up comic in that, like, 
I'm still happy to be. Right. Like, really, like, even in bad nights or just weird nights at Brighton Bar or just shows that nobody comes to or if I bomb, right. I'm still so happy to have a mic in my hand to get a chance to tell jokes yeah. and give people like yourself a chance. I'm always kind of having a good time, right? I stay yeah. positive most of the time. Yeah. But the only time I ever, I ever thought like taking my foot off the gas a little bit was right when you, right before you jumped in in like May of 2015. Uh, the showroom decided to end Comedy on Cookman the same month that the Bank on Madison shut down. Right. And within the next month, my daughter was born. Right. And it was just, it was, it was the right time to take a break. It was kind of the universe telling me to sit down and be a dad for a minute. And then when she gets a little bit older and you can settle down, your family gets straight, come back right. in and then start going to mics again. But I always say the, the, the thing, people kind of make the joke, nobody gives you flowers when you're around to spell them. But when I was taking that break, everybody was great with me. Like they let me right. be on their podcast. They always had spots for me on their shows. Um, it actually got hard for me to take a step back because people, want, you know, luckily right. for me, wanted me to be involved. Yeah, for me, it was so weird to like be in this area where like to me unbeknownst to me things were growing behind me like going on like that's kind of cool to like realize like you know you, you get stuck in that place and you're like I want to do stand up again but there's no stand up anywhere <laughs> I wish that I had known like that people were doing it even if it was just like a year earlier that I could have started at least look I always make a joke and it's in, in, the, in the, the book I hint at and I send it in a podcast I'm on almost nobody says you know thank god I, I didn't start that when I did I should have waited longer Right. not be as good as, it, as I am now. Right. You know what I mean? So I think generally if you want to do something, you should do it now. And then we've been lucky enough to be in this cool situation where uh, there's all this cool stuff going on that um that, that you could do stuff all the time. I mean, I was talking on right. Tim Rager's podcast that if you live in New York City, even during a pandemic, you go to five mics a night, seven nights a week, right. and not have to drive. You could walk or take a subway to that many mics, right? Yeah. In Long Branch, that's not really an option, right? Right. But there's no reason why, if I'm doing great on Monday, you can't start something down the street on Tuesday. So let's get you know, just a label game something that right. on Wednesday. And we can't have five or six chances a week to get up and tell jokes and get better. Because my right. thing, the whole purpose of writing this book is that you can't get better if you're on stage time. Right. right? That's a, and I just feel like I have you, belief in that. you just wait for other people to give you stage time. You're waiting forever. I was talking so. about that with, uh, I had Kurt Ryan on, and uh, he's a comedian I met through uh, Facebook. And, like, he's doing some really good work now. He's, like, actually getting work. He's actually uh, featuring now. But um, <laughs> I was telling him how, like, when I did bringer shows, the last one that I did uh, was at a Grinton comedy club and uh one of the guys there was like a regular he was like oh i only do these bringer shows i don't do mics and stuff and i was so like i wanted him to go on stage because i knew he would bomb and he did but i would have been so angry if he had gotten on stage and done well like that was yeah. the one thing like i felt so bad that i was rooting against for this guy but i was like he doesn't do mics at all he just does these bringer shows he just brings five people and gets stage time it's like you know i would have been so fucking angry if he had done well I would have been like that's yeah. not how it works yeah and, and I'm, I'm very traditional in it like I have a lot of friends in comedy and I make and it makes sense like to me at this level like when people come out sporadically like you know it's but I still think even at this smaller level you have to keep going even though it doesn't seem like even though you might think oh it's you know it's you know, with our mic, like, oh, it's the right mark, show up whenever I want to. That's true. 
that's true that you can take whatever time you need and you know people have their personal lives but you've got to be there constantly well, I, I, I'm a big I like to work out right yeah. I'm a big fan of working out I look at open mics as going to the gym yeah. and I look at shows as your games right. you know what I mean yeah, exactly. and I, I, you know what it is man it, it's, it, it's a shame to say that there's some people that have just like the best genetics and they look greater in shape whether they go to the gym or not right. there's some people that got to go to the gym every day I'm a go to the gym every day guy. I'm right. a go to the open mic a couple times a week guy to get to be average. I don't think I'm great. I'm an I'm an average New Jersey stand-up comic, but I know if I stop doing Brighton or stop going to whatever's available to me, I'm going to get progressively worse. So I try to get up and I, I host every Monday at Brighton, try to do one other thing a week, whatever that might be, and then just try to you know, stay sharp as, as I can and keep writing and getting better. You have a very good uh, like rapport with everyone. You have a very social attitude. Uh, it surprises me, like, I, I when I had you on the podcast, that, like, you didn't really do, like, what I thought you did growing up. Like, you said that you weren't really that proactive and stuff. It feels like, to me, like, you seem like a person that would be, like, editor of the school newspaper and stuff like yeah. that. Like, just you know, with your attitude and, and everything. I, I appreciate that, man. I made the joke when you were on me and my cousins about a month ago. Not a joke, something I, yeah, I yeah. really believe, but I use the analogy that life is really about sitting at the right lunch table in the high school cafeteria. Yeah, sure. And I was just, and I'm not saying I was around bad people, but I was around a, a world and people that just didn't exist. Right? I didn't grow up in a world where going to an open mic to tell jokes was even an option. It's right. Like, it, it, in Tom's River in the 90s, it didn't exist. Right. Right. So then I got in a position here where I got a taste of it, and I was like, oh, I really liked this, this opportunity I got. Can I cr- keep creating this opportunity for other people? And that's kind of what drives me now. Like, I really enjoy it. I think I'm making inroads and doing good things in the comedy world. But, like, I want to create as many opportunities for younger people now as possible. Because I, I think if you don't, number one, you're being selfish. Number two, you know, to use another cliche, the rising tide rises all shit. Right. right. So if I can keep Brighton Bar going every Monday and keep 20 comics happy every Monday and keep the bar happy, that means I'm always going to have a spot to try a new joke on a Monday. Yeah. Right? And that's one selfish reason, but the other good thing is 19 other people on that list get to try new stuff and get better as well. Yeah, it's such a... It's such a... It's such a really good thing. It's like a really, really good thing to have this mic now, especially in these times. But, like, just in general, like, to me it was always... Like, especially with comedies, you're always trying to find places to do stuff. Like, get on shows, get whatever you can, and especially now when it's so sparse, it's really cool to have that area. When you started writing the book, just told me how it is, I don't think you really told us. Like, you just told us, like, oh, I came out with a book. <laughs> yeah. I, and I was, it, like, was it hard for you to be like, for me, I tell, I, I bring in, like, things way too early. I like, I think I announce things way too early when I'm doing them. When I, you should wait for that period of, like, okay, wait for something to drop and then talk yeah. about it. I, I, you I, didn't really talk about I started writing the book in the summer of 2019. It's now coming out in February of 2021, right? It's a year, almost two years in the process. Right. And what, what I'm, I just don't like telling people you're going to do things, you're going to do something, and they might not happen. Right. And, with a, my, my, and I, I didn't want to self-publish this book. I wanted to try to get a publisher to jump on board. I was lucky enough for that to happen. But that's, it's it's so much out of your hands, right? You, right? you write a book, you write a proposal, and whether or not somebody decides to throw the dice on you as an author is really out of your hands. So if it was something I was going to do myself, I might have told people about it a little bit longer, right. a little bit you know, further out. Yeah. But I wanted people to be like, oh, not he's writing a book, he's got a book out. Yeah. You know, it was already really done, cool. the work was done. And I, I, I think it's, it's a good thing for, for everybody here. You know, and I, and I always say, I said this in a couple podcasts, you're ready to say it to you again, Rich. Uh, I'm always proud to 
parties to open. But the night I announced the book at Brighton Bar, which is now two weeks ago, uh, by the end of the night, I had booked three different podcasts. You, right. Foul House Mates, and Tim Rager, because you guys were like, oh, my friend is doing something. I'm not going to hate on him and help him right. promote this thing. And I think that, that's where you really succeed so much of stand-up is being like a like a lone wolf, and it's dog-eat-dog, right. dog, it's competitive. But I don't see how, and I understand if you're in New York City or L.A., I understand why that's a thing. Yeah. But if you're here at the Jersey Shore, what do you have to gain by not allowing me to put my book on your podcast? What do I have to gain by right. not putting you on one of my shows? It to me, it's always about, like, that's kind of the thing that I had to realize. Like, even when COVID hit and everything, I think the one thing that's been really cool is, especially with you, you can realize this, is you don't expect things to, people to, to like everything that you're doing. Like, you can, never, you know, you can imagine it all, like, you know, when you're having your daughter, like, oh, this is where we're going to be. Like, it wasn't, like, it was totally unpredictable and totally just, like, something that really happened and you ran with it. When, when you, uh, the thing that's so cool to me is, like, when you talk to different venues and stuff, like, how is that, like, how, how do you do that? Like, can you elaborate on how you... Sure, and there's a decent part of the book dedicated to I think a lot of people in, in the art, in their, or consider themselves artists, yeah. stand-ups and art, whatever, whatever you think about it, they're really good or think they're really good at the art side of things and don't understand, like, like life is art and commerce. It's got to be right. a little bit of both, right? So the biggest thing you got to do is if you're, in, if you're new to a town and want to start getting in this game a little bit, get a lay of the land, meet some of the players in the game, and then come to these people with a proposition that's going to make them win, right? right? So, for example, if you're going to do it, if you're, if you're 20 years old and you're going to host an open mic in a bar and all your friends are 20 and nobody can buy a drink, that's not going to last too long, right. right? If you're 25 and everybody's drinking and buying booze and tipping the bartenders, that right. won't be a successful open mic. If you're 20, you want to try a coffee shop. You want right. to try bowling. Out. Try something your 20-year-old friends can do. Um, and not be breaking a lot of buy drinks in a bar. Right. right. But I think that you got to find a way to make the venue win and the comics win. And I've been really lucky a few times. I'd say Bright Bar has worked out incredibly well for me and everybody involved. I've right. had some other shows and events that did not go well for, for really anybody for a bunch of reasons. Right. Um, but when you, when you approach a venue, be like, look, I'm going to bring in this amount of people on a night you're already dead. And I can promise this amount of, of liquor sales, food sales, right. whatever it is. Um, does that sound something you want to try to do? Right. And they hopefully they'll, they'll go ahead and do it. So when you, so when you started working on this book, uh, what did you? What was your like? Like how many pages is it? Just to the, okay. So which come which out right now is called the Z. It's like right. a mini book. Yeah. If you remember pre-internet in the in like the nineties, there were a lot of punk rock alternative music zines, which were almost like blogs at the time. Right. right? So this is just about fifty pages. Um, it's a couple of top 10 lists that are actually appendixes to the real book that's probably closer to 250 or 300 pages. So this is kind of just the, the big you know, 20,000 square foot view of if you're in a town with nothing going on, how do you get the ball rolling? Right. And hopefully at some point it just generates enough interest that it becomes a full book with a lot of examples of how do you approach a venue, how do you put right. on a different kind of show. Um, that, that's the kind of thing, there's almost no information out there, right? Right. There, there's a million people online that'll break down why Joe Rogan right. went to Austin and sign on Spotify. There's nobody talking about how Joe Rogan plugs his mic into his computer. The one thing that reminds me of comedy now when I hear about it from, like, I'm a big wrestling fan, so when I hear people, like, that are living all over with me that are wrestlers now in their 40s, when they started, and there, it was even the internet was, like, pre-internet, like, early internet, there was nothing out about the wrestling business. You could only become a wrestler... 
if you were related to someone, yeah. if it was a family thing, if you were related or right. knew so a family. Right, the rock is like three generations. Yeah. It was like that. Right. Like, they had no training things. And that came later. So it was like everything. So people, like, they started out in their backyards and they moved on to training later. And it's just like, to us, it's the same way. It's like, there's no... There's no blueprint. There's no blueprint. Think about this, man. If we lived in New York City, right, or gold would be the cellar, right? Right. And there would be a bunch of clubs that you got to do on your way off. Then you meet people at the cellar. Then you get passed. Then you're a headliner. And hopefully it takes you to TV or whatever the next thing is. We're in the Wild West. Yeah. There's no blueprint whatsoever. And I think a lot of times people view that as, as a detriment and a bad thing. I view it as an insane positive, right? Oh, yeah, for I, sure. We, we're, in a, we're living in a world right now where on a on a Saturday or a Friday at the Beach House Brewery in Belmar, we can pack the place out and have a show that people remember and talk about for months, right? Correct. We live in a place where the bright bar can be special on a Monday. Yeah. In a way that if that was just a low-level open mic and we know our goal is seven steps down the road at Comedy Cellar, we, we can't have those kind of nights. Right. So I think we live in a great time to do to do great things. And I think hopefully this pandemic is coming to an end. This book will help some people really take the ball and run with it when we're going to right. get back down and congregate yeah for sure i mean to me what's just so cool is this isn't really a question it's just a thing that i always that always blows my mind is when uh i forget what publication it was recognized uh the brighton bar as a comedy club yeah they gave us like best comedy club that's so cool like to make a place that's not like a legit like it's not uh but it's it's not a venue at all. It's it's a venue for music. Yeah. And we completely changed the course of that and add that. You know, it's so funny. I see I see the names on the wall all the time of the uh, you know different bands, and I always think like Tadpole's name should be on that. <laughs> your name should be on that. It's like yeah. I, I mean, I'll tell you what. And, and, and Greg, the owner, and Mike, the, I love everybody that works there. Right. But I don't know if any of those bands have done done, done a hundred plus shows like I have. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? We've been doing Mike every Monday for two years, and, and Heather did a great job of letting me take over in year number two. And uh, like I've done a, a lot of shows there. So if that right. uh, maybe one day my name goes on the wall, and that'd yeah. be a fun night for everybody. But um. Yeah, we, just, we took a music venue and just really did something special with it. So it's been, it's been really fun to be a part of that. And I think if you really look at at, at the Brighton Bar as kind of like a microcosm of what's going on at the Jersey Shore in general, right. you had all these music venues that, you know, maybe there's six nights a week of music, one night a week of comedy, but The Saint does shows. Anchors Band did shows until right. pretty recently, right? The showroom was a movie theater that I did shows in. That's a big theme of the book. Like, if you only look at comedy clubs and you're not going to leave New Jersey, you got stress, you got Uncle Vinny's, and you got a right. city, right? Right. And they really don't, they're really not welcoming to, to new people to the business. They got to pay the bill, right. the lights on, pay the waitresses, and the liquor lights, all that stuff. So I, I don't blame them for doing what's profitable book and headlines. Right. But at the same time, if you're going to wait for a chance on those places, you're waiting a long time. Right. But these other smaller venues will definitely give you a shot. And I think what people, like, what's really good, like, as a... Position. Like, if you want to have people that do, like, there's so much upside to it. Like, you're going to get people there all the time. You're going to get people that will come, show up constantly and be able to grow. I think it's really going to be a turning point for people to be able to find out to do comedy anywhere. Because there's such a need for it. And this is a really good way with the book to, to get people 
to guide them. Like, it's yeah, really, I, really good. I appreciate that, man. Like I said, I, by no means do I know everything. Right. I know yeah. it worked for us in the last seven, almost eight years at the Jersey Shore. And my goal with the book is if it took us eight years to do it, somebody reads the book, it takes them two years to do it. Right. Just give, exactly. give them the info that nobody gave us. Um, and just figure out how to approach venues, how to put stuff on, how to promote stuff, how to be a member of the, the larger community around right. them, not just stand-up comedy, and be an asset to that community as well. And then just let, let it grow, man, and let what we have going on here, which has been so amazing for so many people, actually myself included, uh, happen in other places. Right. So, can you, uh, like, what's my question? <laughs> Thinking of, are you going to have, like, I don't know, you're, this is possible. Like, are you going to have, like, inner-served things at all in the grander thing of, like, you know, interviewing different people for your daughter? Yeah, okay, great question. Here's my, my plan is uh, for the month of March, just have the, the scene out, we'll be self-sustained, see what happens. Right. And I'm doing an audiobook version of it that's actually a podcast where I'm going to read segments of the book and then interview people that have experience with that part of comedy, right? Right, yeah. Because well, I think that would be really cool if you got, like, uh, like, I don't know, this is just, like, spitball. like a like a spitballing type of thing, but, uh, you know, Joe McAndrew and, uh, uh, no, uh, JC. JC. Yeah. I was going to say CJ. That's wrong. It's JC. Like, what they did with the, uh, right, the great, the hack shows are the great examples and everything of like, taking the music scene, the comedy scene, mashing them together Nuts, right? Yeah. Um, there's other people we deal with. I, I don't want to say any names on this because I don't want to guess right, about that right. But like, there's people that have brought big time headliners to the Jersey Shore. Right. How do you do that? Right. How do you get, say, Mark Norman's phone number and say, do you want to do a show at a brewery? Right. That's, I think it's an interesting idea, right? Right. Um, there's other people we deal with that have done great work in a fundraising space. I've raised tens of thousands of dollars for schools and arts organizations and, uh, and sports and stuff like that. So I want to get you in touch with those people. Here's my idea to fundraiser. How did you really do? Right. And talk to them about that. So that's that kind of the next step back to the book right. the podcast series. So I guess we can finish up here because I just want to ask, what is... It's so, I guess I'm, it's so ingrained of me to ask this, but like, you did all these podcasts, you've done all these podcasts now. What is your next step with this book now? What is the next thing? Great question. My, my thing for the next couple months is to record the audio version of the book and the interviews that go along with it, put those out in about 12 episodes. So, kind of like a mini series right. on a podcast. Be on as many podcasts as humanly possible to promote this. Um, with the idea of the Jersey Shore podcast has been great. It's probably the fourth or fifth one I've been on this week right. about this, so I super appreciate that. But I think I know some comics and some other kind of emerging scenes. I know people in Pittsburgh, I know people right. in Philadelphia, That's I know good. people down in Maryland. I want to try to get on those podcasts and keep promoting it down there and making connections down there. And then I, ideally sell enough of the zine to publish the full book, hopefully with Microcosm Publishing again uh, in 2022. Okay. And that's kind of my goal for the next, see, 12 months with what I've, what I, what I hope to do with that. And then obviously keep doing the Brain Bar Monday, keeping an asset to the comedy community, and then just see what happens from there. Right. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I know it's cold. I know it's, I got this set up. So I'm very happy that I, at least I got it to, you know, work you know yeah, that's no, I, thing. I give you credit <laughs> that's man. just what i do is like uh i'm not a technological person i don't know anything i didn't go to school or anything for any type of you know podcast like radio or anything but i just do this diy and i think that's one of the coolest things is to do that and i think you know not to be 
to sound too corny, but it is really true. It's like, you can really, you're an example that you just have to do, you can do anything. You just have to work at it and have the proper attitude and have the proper, like, work ethic. Like, that's what you have. You just have yeah, a good drive about it. And it's not like, you know, I don't mean it as, like, much as a compliment. It's like, it's something that you either have or you don't have it. You either have that drive or you don't. Yeah, and you, you have you know, it. I pre I appreciate that, man. I'm not sure really where it comes from, but I do, and I do think comedy's a weird thing where like, you, funny you can argue is there's people that are giftedly funny, yeah, right? and they can almost can't get out of the way of it, and then there's people that have to work at it and write all the time and go to a thousand mics to get better at it, but that doesn't mean they can't end up in like almost the same right. spot because there's so many ways to. There's, and it, it, like I said, we live in this world now where we're outside at a surf taco with an iPad recording a right. podcast that theoretically a million people could listen to this at right. some point, yeah. right? We live in such weird times where, like, you don't need a multi-million dollar budget and 20 right. cameramen and lighting and makeup and hair to do something that goes viral and gets a lot of eyes on it. Um, and I, I love that. Like, I love the idea that me and you can document this conversation and play it for our kids can hear it someday. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's kind of exactly. an interesting idea. And I, I really, it's weird because I think I always say the Jersey Shore community is so based in like the punk rock, skateboard, right. underground hip hop world, and our comedy is just an extension of that. Right. And now all the DIY podcasts and YouTube shows, and even the zine is even more of an output, outpouring of uh, of that. So I think it's cool. To be yeah, and it's been so. It's very. I've never really said this, but like, you kind of made it uh, much easier for me to kind of not accept like where I was but like at least look on the bright side of things like to me before COVID hit I was like you know I love this scene I love everyone but I can't wait to get out of here and you know go to New York go somewhere and do stuff but I like this this uh, this thing now I'm comfortable now and I like and I'm happy now with just being here like if COVID never like takes a few more takes way longer than I think it will and I hope it will, then I'm cool with being in this area now. And that's a big fundamental part to you, to just being very enthusiastic. Yeah, no, I really, I really appreciate that, Instead man. of being like, I, you know, I'm going to be too big for my versus, I'm going to be out of here and not be a Jersey comic anymore. Yeah, well, my, and, my thing you know, is... You know, I bet there's people that have that same, that, that same thing, too. Bro, well, my thing, I have a couple of things that, man, I'll let you go. Number one, if you're doing Mondays at Brightmore and you're not doing the Borgata in AC... You right. could be mad you're at Brighton Bar, or you could kill every Monday at Brighton Bar. Right, exactly. That's probably the better option. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And then when you get a shot, and I think the one thing I kind of hammer home in the book is there's absolutely a ceiling to what we're doing. Yeah. Like, it's really fun. I love everybody involved in it. I love being a part of it. At some point, somebody, maybe a younger guy like you, has got to go to New York or L.A. and take the next step. It's right. It's not even me because of my, my, my right. status yeah. in life right now. Right. But... Don't tell me you're not going to be better when you get to that next level. Exactly. If you, yeah. didn't, if you did every mic and every show and every podcast you could when you were coming up, it's, it's literally, it's like these people that want to get in the entertainment game and they graduate high school or college and move to New York, LA and try to get in and haven't done anything to prepare for it. Yeah. To me, that's literally a sports analogy. You never played basketball. You show up master right. guard and you're like, hey, I'm here to play for the Knicks. Right. That you, There's no way you're going to be as good as a kid that played JV basketball, varsity basketball, college basketball, and worked his way to the pros. And I, 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 what we're doing right. right now is working our way and to the right. pros. It's, it's true. And also, it's getting – what I've noticed just looking around at other places too, because I look at like other comedians that come up, and I look at stuff and I'm like, there's a comedian. I don't know if you know him. Uh, he's very popular on uh, – 
Sirius uh, XM, I think it is, with his uh, comedy album to play, Chad Daniels. He lives in, uh, where does he live in? Uh, uh, he lives in the Midwest somewhere, I forget what, what state, but there's no comedy there. There's one comedy club, and he became super famous just from what we're doing. Like, yeah. you know, it's just like, and he's sort of proven that, like, you don't need to go to L.A. to be a huge comic. Right. And it's like, I feel like we prove that everywhere, and I think that's a good extension with the book to have that, to show people, like, look, you don't have to, you don't have to do, you don't have to move to California or New York and get worried about anything. You can start anywhere. Yeah, and you have... Here's a, here's a stat. I, I read. I was writing a screenplay a while ago, and I read this book, How to Make Movies for Fun and Profit, by the people that were on the state in Reno 911 and that, that crew. And the first line of the book is, you have an iPhone, you have better technology right now than they had when they made all of the first new stories. Right. Right? So it's like you got to take advantage of that and do the, the best you can with what you have and just keep getting better so that if you get that, that shot, you, you put your reps in, your hours in, and you're ready to be on the level of the people that are at that level. Right. And that's the, that's the biggest thing is that we, we create an environment where people can perform all the time and get better all the time and try new stuff all the time. And hopefully when it, if a door opens for somebody, somebody cracks a door for one of us, we kick it in and show we belong. Right, yeah. So uh, thank you so much for doing this. I'm going to uh, just try and, you know, see what I can do with this and just see if I can, you know, fix the audio as much as I can. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's just what I do. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it, man. I love the podcast. I listen to almost every episode. Thanks for letting me be the second returning guest. And then uh, Stand Up and Laugh, available from Microcosm Publishing right now. Uh, their website, Amazon, select bookstores across the country. Thank you very much, Rich. All right. Thanks, man. Hello. Uh, this is What the Heck with Richard Dweck. This is a special episode with Angelo Gingerelli. Uh, he's been on the podcast before. Uh, he hosts the... Brighton Bar up on my keys, you know, huge part of the scene. He wrote a book recently, and uh, working on it for a while. He's, you know, it's how to build a comedy scene. It's, you know, it's a good way to, you know, we, I say we, but, yeah, we. Like, he, he really has been the driving force, and as he says, it took us, you know, six years to get here, and, uh, you know, this is a good way for people to do what we do in less time, if they want to. Uh, I think it's a great way. I really, really like the thing that's going on. I just uh, pre-ordered the book. I gotta, I gotta finish buying it. Uh, it's he'll he'll give you all the information, but um, yeah, really check this out. This is a good interview. Uh, it's really quick. Uh, it's like thirty minutes. We're we uh, did it outside at a uh, surf taco, outside a surf taco, and uh, on my iPad. So I'm, the audio is fine. There's a little bit of background noise, but it's not terrible. It's not awful, which is good. You know, it has sort of a weird ambiance, but it's, you know, fine. I, I tested putting background music on it, but that just, you know, made it sound too corny. So, uh. I just, I'm going to try and release this audio, and uh, I'll probably get grief from uh, Daniel Caprio, uh, one of our most popular guests with uh, with it, but I think it's fine. Uh, 
So um, without further ado, uh, let's get into the interview. Thank you. Hi, Reggie. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Good. Good. Sorry about that. Uh, hey, don't worry about it. Kind of a funny story. No one even knows this. I didn't really tell anyone. <laughs> I, uh, I spilled coffee on myself on uh, Sunday last week, and uh, I have like a second degree burn, I think. And uh, it just like I had to get urgent care, so I was like, you know, like, take care of it. But uh, anyway, uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, it's uh, it's always so interesting. Like to me, I'm always I always have like the people that are, you know, very important to get on. Like everyone's important, but you know, there's like pivotal people like in comedy that I've met. So I always want to get them on early, and I was like, that's sort of my goal, I guess. So you're like mm-hmm. one of those people. Oh man, I, re- I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's the plan, Rich. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we'll see where it all goes, but uh, right. yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, I figure it out. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was on your podcast, and uh, you said that you started in uh, Washington? Yeah, I started in uh, Washington, D.C. I want to say uh, probably around the year 2013, if I had to guess. Well, actually, I don't have to guess. I was 25 at the time. Right. So, yeah, eight years ago. Yeah, it's it's always crazy how fast it goes by, like... July 18th will be uh, six years for me because I started in 2015. And it's like, it's just crazy how fast it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because uh, now, you know, I go on the phone and everything, Facebook has memories. I have like, it's Google app, so it'll take like old photos and be like, hey, remember this from five years ago? Yeah. It's like, wow, that show was three, four years ago? Like, it doesn't feel right. like it. Yeah. It's just uh, um, so interesting. Like, was it... Uh, I've heard that I've heard stories that like that's pretty hard to do comedy down there. Did you uh, have any struggle early on down there, or what was your um, experience? Yeah, so DC is a bit of a different scene, right? Like, uh, there's not as many rooms because you know DC though it has like there's a lot of money and you know stuff down there. It's a uh, it's a small place. It's not nearly as big as like New York City. It's not nearly as big as New Jersey, and um, Comedy isn't really, um, I would say it's probably not as popular as it is up here. So right. there weren't a ton of rooms and you really had to kind of know people to book shows. So now I know everyone's always kind of complaining about clicks and stuff like that. And there was a bit of a gatekeeping down there, but I think that part of that is just part of the experience, right? Like, uh, oh yeah, at, at any level. Yeah, totally, exactly. And what it, what it makes it tough, though, is that because there is that sort of natural gatekeeping that happens, which I think rightfully so, because people need to get good at comedy before they start, you know, trying oh, yeah. to, you know, do a bunch of paid shows. Um, it mixed with the fact that, like, there's less clubs. Yeah, it, it's a harder, I don't want to say it's a harder scene, but it's a hard scene to be in. Um, right. But with that being said, I met a ton of great people down there. I was able to do uh, a couple of shows and stuff like that, but I found that it was easier to go back after getting my credentials up here. <laughs> right. Because, like, you, you network with people, and then, like, there were shows that, like, would have taken me probably to this day to get on a show down there that I could just, you know, with the right connection, I, I call somebody and, like, hey, I'm coming down to D.C. Right. You got anything for me? And, uh, yeah, I'll probably book two or three gigs. 
yeah, you're kind of in that area of like uh, um, close to the South Amboy, closer to uh, Jersey City. Uh, you're like near the Stress Factory, so that's uh, you're like you seem to be in a good like area for uh, comedy in New Jersey. Do you feel that way? I think I'm in a good area. It's pretty central. Um, you know, with the even before the pandemic, like uh, I wasn't hitting the stress factory as much as um, you would think. And honestly, it's because of sort of like a shift in management, a shift in sort of the style of how they did the open mic. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, for a while, I didn't think that the way they ran their mic was great. And it started to improve pretty, pretty drastically uh, while I took a bit of a hiatus from the place. So I think, I think it's a great venue place place to uh, be kind of situated near there's a natural sort of um, interest in comedy because we're in a town with one of the uh, sort of premier clubs in the in the uh, state so yeah it's yeah, I mean yeah. you can't you can't beat that experience you can't beat working that stage right like that's right that's right. a great you know infamous comedy stage and uh, I'm glad that I've been able to participate there but uh I definitely want to get back and you know kind of work that relationship a little bit a little bit again. I haven't done a whole lot of stamp there. I did a couple sets. Uh, to me, it was just like, you know, I never got a good enough size of an audience, you know, just because of, you know, how late you get to go on. And yeah, the only good thing was that, uh, you know, Eric Hollerbach, do you know him? Wait, uh, oh, Hollerbach? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, um, he saw me there. So, like, that's how we met later because he had seen me once there. So, uh, but uh, yeah, it was always just like people would leave, and the one thing that's always cool is like Gordon, uh, Gordon Baker Bone. He's the greatest, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I'm... He's like the way that I sort of would describe him is like he is slip on a banana peel, cool to me. Like he could do anything, like to mess up, like he could you know trip or something, and he'll still look like a thousand bucks. Like he'll still look really cool. Yeah. Gordon Gordon's one of those guys that um obviously like if you if you mentioned Gordon Baker Bone in the state of New Jersey in the comedy scene, yeah. people people know who you're talking about, right? Like he's he's yeah. got, he's that big of a figure in the scene. And yeah, he's worked his name to be that way. A, absolutely. I'm actually I'm working with him uh this Friday. Uh, I'm on a show oh, out, in, awesome. out in Bloomfield um with him. So I Gordon was very important to me sort of making my transition in the comedy scene here right um yeah like like you mentioned when i left dc uh i'd taken a little bit of a hiatus from stand-up so i lived in portland for a second um right and eventually moved up here and because look i went to Rutgers, i know about the stress factory that was really like the first club i went back to and right um you know that's where i met dan farley that's where i met a bunch of people and right. gordon was hosting sometimes and he and you know, he told me about the the Kenilworth show. You know, uh, right. 10th Street yeah. Live. <laughs> yeah, I went to uh, 10th Street a couple times in before we uh, stopped. And uh, you know, I always bring up the story that uh, like I was way different back then when I started. I was way more aggressive. I think I said this on your podcast. Like I, I uh, remember like there wasn't a whole lot of crowd, but when there was, like, they would actually like me because I would yell at them. <laughs> and it'd be like, oh, I like this aggressive side to him. <laughs> like, you know, but yeah. it was a lot 
worse I heard. But uh, Gordon, <laughs> what's so crazy about it is like, it's just a testament to like how a lot of comedians are like that I've known that are higher up is that a lot of them are nice. Gordon. Like Gordon, he's the nicest, like one of the nicest guys ever. Gordon, Gordon's really nice. And like when I went to Tim Street, uh, what really kind of started our friendship was he was working this ridiculous show in uh, Connecticut. Um, it was literally at a gentleman's club and it was like a topless like talent show, something crazy like that. And every week he would get up at uh, Tim Street and he would say, hey, I'm doing this. I'm doing this show. Who wants to go? Right. And at this point, I don't really know a lot of comedians in New Jersey. And I was like, you know what? I'll go. <laughs> and, you know, I brought it up to him. And I'm sure he thought I was kind of like, you know, just kind of BSing with him. But I was like, no, I was like, dude, I'll go. <laughs> and we, we took a couple trips up to Connecticut. I didn't even think I really performed, but I just, you know, went up, kind of watched him work. We built our friendship right. out. And that was like, that was kind of like my foray into being pretty good friends with him and interacting with him and, you know, doing shows and stuff together. Like we've done college gigs and, and things of that nature. So Gordon's really helped me out a lot with, uh, getting my foot in the door and like kind of hitting some of those little milestones that you want to do in comedy, whether it's a, whether it's a club, you know, whether it's a college gig, like, um, he's been, no, he's been a very important part of my stand-up career. You know? right. He's a very good friend. Yeah. The way I would sort of like describe him is like, I know we're both wrestling fans. It's like, it's like being an independent wrestler and knowing, like being friends with the young bucks. Yeah. It's like, you know who they are. Like, Oh, they know who you are. Like, you know, he's he's great. I love his album and everything. It's you know, yeah, he he's good. But uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, um, your relationship with Dan Farley. Uh, it's so interesting to me because you sort of have like a like a good rapport with him, and to me, like you seem pretty different. Like not a bad way, but like you're pretty mellow compared to him. Yeah. What, what started everything with Dan, similar story, right? Like, uh, I was very conscious about how I went to approach um, stand-up, right? And oh, um, when I was going back to Stress Factor, when I first started doing mics again, I saw Dan perform, and I was like, this guy's really good. And through networking, you know, I talked to another kid, uh, this guy, Sean Barron, used to be in the scene, that wanted to start a show. <laughs> and, you know, I was pretty green, he was pretty green. I was like, hey, Sean, we're not we're not that good. <laughs> like, um, we should try to bring on somebody that like knows the game. Right. So right. I approached Dan as a host. I was like, Hey, uh, Dan, we'd like you to be on the show with us. You know, you can be the headliner. You can host like whatever you want to do, but like, we wanted to like pick your brain. And ever since then, man, uh, we started doing shows. That's how me and Dan started. Well, really his idea in terms of name, the Colonel Mastodon brand that we have. Yeah. And uh, through working together as sort of like more of like a business partnership, we hung out a lot. We became very good friends. And uh, what's interesting is, like you mentioned, I'm pretty mellow. But uh, if you ever – it's very rare for people to see this, but uh, I do have a bit of a wild streak. Um, uh, so so uh, although I usually am able to kind of like keep it all buttoned up and together, Dan see me in right. some of my crazier moments, and I think we balance each other out very well. Right. But. Yeah. It, it's uh, it's just interesting to see, like, that mix of, like, you know, I don't want this to come up the wrong way, but I think, like, people know, like, Dan is, like, a 
like a force, yeah. kind of <laughs> like a force of nature. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he's a he's a wild man, you know. Like he, so like you never know what you're gonna get with him. Like I think, you know, I always have this like problem of like I think like there's drama with me between people when there isn't, right? Or like they don't like me, or like they think I'm annoying, and. Like, he's been, you know, at first, like, I felt that way. And then he's been super cool to me, like, for a long time. And it's just, like, it's kind of cool to, like, see that, like, you know, yeah, how things kind of change. Yeah, you know, like, he's a a big guy, right? So, like, that's already kind of, like, the thing. He's, uh, he's, uh, lives up to sort of the the Irish kind of stereotype. Like, man, you know, he can, he can put down a drink. Let's put it that way. Um, Yeah, yeah. And, but... Even with all that, it's like the same time. In every dealing I've ever had with him, I've never had to worry. Like, uh, there's been shows where like he's been in charge of the money, right? Like, there's like a thousand dollars that right. you know so, a portion of it's mine. And um, no matter what situation he was in, like whether he got you know right. robbed or anything like that, he always made sure that like I got my cut. And um, he's always been really fair with me in business. And um, right. Again, no matter how like like you say he's a force, no matter how wild that force is, we have a mutual kind of understanding and um friendship right. that uh yeah, I really value it. I mean, me and Dan actually hang out all the time. <laughs> like uh usually any Sunday in New Brunswick, uh New Jersey, you can come down to the Garden State Ale House and we'll probably be there <laughs> eating brunch. Oh, you know? That's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's a that's just such a like cool thing to have. Like I feel like that only that sort of happens. Like you just sort of everyone has that has a couple people or, or that person. Like you know, you have you know Dan Farley. I have uh, like John B. Crofton. I'm close with uh, Dan Caprio. Sure. It's like you know, it's just interesting. Like you sort of fall into you know a groove with someone, and uh, yeah, it's just like does that is that purposeful in your? Uh, I don't know if that's where it is. Is it purpose like? in your uh co-hosting together like do you sort of take the reins as like the straight man um try to or is it just like a natural type of it's a thing it's a natural thing right like um i i just think you know it's a personality thing right like i i can't do what dan does he's not necessarily doing what i'm doing right and um i i tend to be more like diplomatic about a lot of things um so like yeah. I do sort of take on that natural role, and I've also oh. sorry you there. Um, let me see. Uh... Can you hear me? Uh, sorry, cut okay. out. Okay, for a second. No uh, can you repeat? Sure, that? sure. So let's see, uh, going back. Yeah. So like, basically we do have the two different sort of personalities, but because Dan's farther along in his, uh, his comedy career than me, like he's been doing it longer. Um, I naturally take on some roles really just to build my own craft, right? Like, uh, hosting is not necessarily always actually, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work a lot of times, but, uh, at the same time, it's like, you know what? This is how you get your reps in. You got to be uncomfortable. Um, I've actually heard someone reference this before about my stand-up. They're like, it's like, we know we can put you in 
pretty much any slot. And I think that's right. a, I think that's a good, you know, that's a good thing to have in your wheelhouse. And people are like, hey, look, this crowd's a little rough, or like, I, I don't know what's going on tonight. Let's see if uh, you can go in and reset it. And uh, as tough as it is to be that kind of utility uh, player, <laughs> um, it, it, no, it's it, it's a it's a compliment, really. Like people know that I can handle a lot of situations, and that's why I keep putting myself in these uncomfortable kind of hosting gigs. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, and I also get to watch guys like Dan, um, guys like Gordon. Um, I, I get to watch them work. I get to like kind of take notes and say, all right, like I kind of like how they approach this situation, or I, or you know, like I wouldn't have done it that way. You know, it's it's always good to see other people right. working. So uh, I I know that you've been doing comedy a while. Uh, have you? Um, did you uh, grow up like a huge comedy fan? Like, were you? Uh, did you listen to a lot of? Did you consume it a lot? I guess. Yeah. So I uh, I don't think I even realized how much I like comedy until I was in like college. But like when I was younger, right? I would stay up pretty late. There was a show that used to be on a BET <laughs> called Comic View. And right. it would come on like kind of late. It would be like around 11, and, you know, I'm in like middle school, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe early high school. And I'm staying up late and I'm watching yeah. these different acts. And I'm watching uh, Ricky Smiley, used to be the host. Um, guys like oh, yeah. guys like Earthquake went through there. I think Deion Cole did stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like I'm just watching all these funny, and, uh, in this case, mostly like black comics, right? Um, right. Uh, my family like when death comedy was really big i remember being in like a room of like a bunch of like like my dad and my uncles and stuff like that and like everyone kind of laughing and they would like let me watch too and you know yeah. over time i got to the point where back when people were still burning cds and stuff like that i would you know take like prior albums like robin harris and stuff like that but i was a, oh, yeah. i was a huge comedy nerd and i just kind of did it casually and looking back, I realized, like, dude, I was a huge, huge fan. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's obvious it's, that I'm doing it now because like, I've always had it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, what was like, you know, I got into it a lot later than people would think. Like, I was, you know, maybe 15 or 16 when I really got, like, my comedy nerdiness because it just felt like, I guess, the way it was marketed really like, the two people that were really popular when I was young were Jeff Dunham, who, you know, is, like, mixed, like, I have a sure. view of, and Gabriel Iglesias, who's great. But they were the two guys that were, like, mostly mm -hmm. prominent. So, like, I didn't really get to see a whole lot of, like, actual stand-up, and it wasn't until, uh, you know, it's hard to say now, uh, Louis C.K., sure. his early specials, it's like, when I started to get into it, him, and then Patton Oswalt, and Bo Burnham, and people like that, and then I got into my comedy nerdiness of just you know getting into everything but uh it just is so like weird to think like i think from the past 10 years or even the past 20 years there's such a rich history now that just keeps building of comedians it, of like that are must see and must watch yeah i think that uh history is an important word there and uh i know just from talking to you that you have a sort of respect and the understanding of a lot of comedy history. Same I think anyone that anyone that does it really should get like a pretty good baseline of at least some basic comedy history, like whether it's, you know, the old vaudeville stuff, um, cat skills, yeah. 
you know, old, like again, another name that's not as popular yeah. these days uh, for um, controversy, but like watching like a Woody Allen work oh, back yeah. in the day, uh, Lenny Bruce. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think the history of comedy is so fascinating. And, you know, a lot of my favorite comments yeah. aren't really of this, uh, this era, but like, um, even, even recent right. history, like going back to like that show comic view or the comedy central presents and stuff like yeah. that, you got to watch a lot of really good yeah. comments, <laughs> uh, in a yeah. lot of different platforms. And it was super helpful. I was thinking about something. This is so kind of random. Cause I know like you're a wrestling fan too, is like, I went to wrestling school once for my birthday, my 18th birthday, which was with my brother, which was kind of cool, but, like, I'm not an athlete, so it wasn't, like, they just thought I was very respectful, but, um, like, I always thought, like, I would be, you know, a great commentator, and I would love to be, like, a cat skills, like, comedian type of deal, yeah. kind of like Jerry Waller, <laughs> and that would, like, be really fun, like, <laughs> that type of comedian, uh, but, uh, yeah, that it's so interesting to see, like, the different, you know, history and stuff and to me it's just like i just like seeing it you know how it is now especially with netflix and everything like i just love how people sort of are in the know now uh have you uh are you a big Chappelle fan huge Chappelle fan uh a, a dc guy actually you know i know he did a lot of stuff yeah, yeah. In, his, in new york but like uh, he's his origins really started dc i have um yeah, I have an interesting thing uh, that I know. Um, so I started on July 18th, 2015 in uh, D.C., uh, 1988. He and Patton Oswalt started on the same exact night. I think he went right after Patton. Patton was like 24 or something, 22 or 23 or 24. And Chappelle was like 15 or he was either 15 yeah, or 16. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> And it's like just crazy, like to think, like at that age, how how he must have been, like just to imagine that, like a fifteen year old Chappelle was going up there, and just like you know, it's like cementing like what's gonna further. Yeah, happen. yeah. I mean, the guy has always just been that brave, and like he, I forget the name of the gentleman that was his like sort of mentor, but uh, you know, he he, yeah. he did a lot of hard reps. You know, the guy would just like pick up in the middle of like a park, you know start doing stand-up, you know, yeah. throw, throw a bucket or like yeah. a hat down. Like he, like the guy's done so many reps. And honestly, yeah. when I watch Chappelle yeah. stand up now, I think he's more or less mastered the craft um, to, to the point now yeah. where he really reminds me more of like a Mark Twain type figure. <laughs> yeah. He's a lot like how uh, Carlin sure. was at the end. Like to me, one of my biggest uh, like things with being a Carlin fan is I think a lot of people uh, kind of know him nowadays mm-hmm. for that stuff. like, And it's great. Like, all the stuff he did at the end, I think, was really great, especially from, like, my point of view of what I agree with politically. But I think a lot of, like, stuff that he did before is, uh, you know, uh, overlooked. Like, one of the cool things about uh, um, him to me is uh, he, his father wasn't around that much, but his mom was a linguistics teacher so he that's why he fell in love with sure. language but he was also a class clown in school so he mixed those two things to make his persona of like i'm gonna make armpit noises and fart sounds in my act but also i'm gonna say 15 synonyms for the word for the word sure. salacious 
And it's like, you know, he's like, I'm going to curse this much and say, you know, examine language. And I just love, like, how people can go through that sort of trajectory. Do you ever feel like, you, I always feel that, too, with my act, like, things are always evolving. Do you feel like you've evolved oh. from where you started? Like, I know you're, you kind of are a host now. Do you feel like, do you feel like you're in sort of that space? Uh, Are you like, do you consider yourself more of a metal guy now? Like, I, I think or... that, um, I think that I, I'm starting to hit a stride, right? Like, uh, and I think what kind of put a fire under me is like one year I went out to Milwaukee at, um, at the Cream City Comedy Festival. And I, I feel bad because I'm right. forgetting the guy's name, but he's a decent act that uh, works out of the city. But I watched that guy perform. And I was just like, it was just another level, right? Like, it was just like a notch above what everybody else was doing at this festival. And it was like, the guy was a true headliner. Right. And I was like, man, I'm, I know I'm not quite there yet, but I do know that basically like a feature act, you know, like 30 minutes, you need me to come in and uh, right. back clean up. Yeah, I can do that. that no question. Right. And uh, right. I'm even like building an act because I, I got this show on Friday. And I haven't really performed for right. a while. Like I, I went to a mic last night and was testing out some different things, just kind of seeing where I wanted to take this show. And like that is something that I know I can just do now, right? Like I I still have the act that's written out and everything like that. Like as a host, right. I can just go in and like take something in the room or take something uh that's happening in the news or something like that and just like just spin it, you know? And I think that my sort of, um, I guess, like the freestyle and more on the improv side of it, I've got down to a pretty good science. I think I'm really good at reading a room, and I'm really good at like, uh, yeah, like interacting with audiences and stuff like that. So like, those are feathers that are my cap. But I would say that uh, one thing I really have to like hone in and work on is just the raw, you know, standard kind of writing, which uh, I don't do as much right. from a hosting standpoint. And I think that. Uh, it's actually important that I kind of get back into that mode. So I think that's the next evolution of my game. I'm shifting from, okay, I learned all the tricks right. so I can host, which means right. I can deal with hecklers, which right. means I can deal with, uh, you know, random stuff happening in the room. But now I want to just get yeah. to the point where, like, if I didn't have to deal with any of that stuff, here's the act, here's 30 minutes of it, it's this tight, it's good, it's solid, there's a tag, there's a through line, uh, callbacks or something that I... I struggle with a bit and it's like I would like to really get to the next level of oh, yeah. uh, stand up but I'm getting there I have one I have a couple bits so I had one bit that uh, like I, I don't know if you have this like I, I've, I haven't asked this question in a long time but uh, like I feel like as a comedian you always have that one joke like every year or like a couple jokes where you love them to death and, like, you love doing them. You think they're hilarious for your sense of humor. But they just don't hit with anybody else. I'm not, Do you have that? I've got bits like that. Bits like and that? I, I have to um, – I keep them around. Like, not necessarily in the act, but I keep them around because, like, sometimes just looking at it from a different angle, you might be able to, like, work that bit. Right. But uh, I, I have, I've gotten pretty good at just saying, you know, like, maybe it's time for this one to take it. You know, or, like, I'm not getting what I need out of this. And it's messing with the flow. Right. Um, I, right. I definitely have bits like that. And the harder thing actually is, um, 
making a shelf life for some of your bits. Like there are bits that are really good that I do, but uh, kind of like in a self policing way, it's like, right. Okay. I've been doing this for two years. Like it, it's time to either use this less right. or, you know, I got to write something else because I can't be doing the same bit five years from now. Right. Like it just, right. that's the thing that's interesting to me about, uh, you know, um, a bunch of things is like, I, I always have that. Like to me, it was uh, my first like joke that I had that was reoccurring that never worked. Was uh, it was this? It was I like my women how I like my coffee in a coffee cup, and I love that joke sure. because of the visual aspect. Like it had could be taken in so many different ways. I tried that for so many for a couple of years it didn't work, and then this past recent one was like just kept building to be, you know, like more and more callbacks, which was great because it was like, oh, this is great. So the joke that I had was originally mm-hmm. was talking about Kanye West and I would call him a silly goose. And then I would talk about like, what if there was a serious goose, like a, like a, what's it called? Like an anthropomorphic, <laughs> like serious goose. And then what I added with that is like me interacting with the goose because I have a thornophobia. I have a huge fear of birds so i was like i tried to mix all that together it's like, oh, right, right. like back. i was like i can finally do that uh-huh. but it was always just that like really niche thing of like okay this joke isn't hitting and people are you know like audiences are fine with it but like the people that are mostly performing it for are my comedian friends and comedians and it's like yeah oh, he's doing yeah. this joke <laughs> And that's uh that's something that a lot of comics will do. They start playing to the sort of the back of the room and stuff like that. And there's a right. there's a strength in that, but like uh, also like knowing when to uh switch it over, right? Like it's like, all right. Um yeah. yes, I like the other acts. And unfortunately because you know, we're all in this this game really close together, um, people yeah. have seen the acts. <laughs> and as comics we we can kind yeah. of be uh jerks about that right like oh my god he's doing this you know he's yeah. doing a coffee cup and he's doing a goose again yeah. that's the one thing yeah. that that's the one thing that I'm very happy about with going to Texas in uh, May it's just like I'm going to be able to do you know a bunch of shows like five shows and uh, I guess some will be mics and some will be actual shows and uh, it's like I'll be able to uh, to perform now because I always feel like now it's like too casual. Like that's the one thing that I always hate about doing George Street and what I didn't like about, you know, Brighton Bar that just closed. Like uh, the only thing I didn't like about it was the community made me too much. Like, like I became a magician without sleep. Sure. It's like everyone knows what you're, what you're uh, doing. Like you don't talk in the show busy way that you do when you're doing an actual show with strangers. You're just like talking like a normal person. You're not talking. Like yeah, a comedian. And, and I think it's no. I totally get what you, you mean because, like, I do it too, right? Like, I I actually get to the point where it's like, man, I should be working on this bit, but like, guys have heard this bit, so like now I'm gonna like mess around with this other idea, and uh, that goes back into that kind of that writing thing right. I was talking about, which is, um, as much as that is like a factor at our level, it's also like something we got to break ourselves out of, and it's good that you're going to Texas. Um, you'll yeah. be really surprised how well your stuff travels. You'll be really surprised well, that, like, uh, you know, yeah. something that's getting like nothing because you've done it however many yeah. times in front of these people yeah. will like yeah. 
come alive in another yeah. Uh, location. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, I've written so much stuff now, and it's just like it's great. Like, because uh, I'm so amped for it, because it's just like people are, you know, going to be able to see it. And it's stuff that I, you know, haven't done in a while. Like, uh, yeah, it's it's great. Uh, so I want to get back more into. So you talked about like listening to comedy with your grandparents and the guys in your family. Did uh, are they supportive? Yeah, the ones that I guess are around are they supportive of what you do? Are people in your family? Uh, they're supportive in the sense that uh, for them, like, because I look, I'm still you know holding down. A, nine to five job most of the time i really don't talk to them about right. stand-up because uh you know it, i really don't you know feel like talking about it with my family because like right. there's other stuff to talk about right. like, i talk to plenty of people about comedy right um so like i right. think that if they thought that i was like spending a lot of my time doing it without having like a more traditional fallback i think they would be a little less cool with it but i think yeah. at this point they recognize that Hey, look, I'm not just going to abandon my entire, like, uh, livelihood on, like, you know, a crapshoot. Like, if I'm doing it, I'm going to do it professionally. And, uh, yeah, I've got plenty of support. Right. Like, um, like you mentioned, me and Dan, we did a theater show a couple years back, and we had great turnout. A lot of people from my family came. You know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God, that's so cool. And it's something I want to do again. It's like, that was, at this point, that was probably about five years ago. And it's like, why aren't we doing stuff at that level again? And I... I I have a a lot of ideas right. in my head about like the next phase of uh, what I want to do, whether it's, you know, theater shows like that, whether it's more like on the digital side, like streaming and stuff like that. I've got a couple of ideas running around my head that I want right. to get out there. <laughs> yeah. I think that's one of the things that's like, I think people are better now with knowing Connie. And I like that. They have that with like Netflix people get more like, close to it now but it still is uh very hard to, i remember when i was early on like in my 20s like early 20s when i started it was very hard for me to like explain it to elderly people or like when i would go and apply for jobs and stuff they'd be like you know like you'd be like why would you even do that it's like well these people have never performed in their entire life they've never created anything their whole entire thing is like you know you know, God bless them, like, for what they do, like, they're destined to, you know, fold laundry for the rest of their life, and be a manager at a store. They have no idea what it's like to be like, oh, yeah, I don't mind going to this pizza place to do five minutes, you know, like, they can't, you know, comprehend that. So, I like, I always like when there's more stuff, like, when there's stuff like, you know, the show, uh, sure, crashing pete holmes show and like they had the show on showtime and it was just like that was good because it exposed regular people to uh to to what we do i guess it's sort of similar in a way to like if people who don't watch wrestling watch like beyond the mat or something like you know they just sort of like kind of get the inside a little bit of what we do because I think that's one of the things that's like really interesting is I'll talk to people, I'll talk to like regular people and I'll be like, I only have, you know, five minutes of material. And then I tell my comedian friends that and they're like, oh, wow, like you, you actually have like a five, 10 minutes, like, you know, so that because we know, 
we actually know from experience oh. the timing. Five, yeah, five minutes is uh, that. that's a milestone, right? Like that's one of the first milestones you got to hit. You got to be right. able to do a tight five. Um, yeah. Working right. like a mic, like the Stress Factory, you definitely learn that. And I, I, I kind of like what you were saying there in terms of uh, I think about this a lot too. Is that um, your normal, you know, quote unquote person is going to do normal stuff. Like you said, they're going to manage the shop. You know, they're going to you know work the register or something like that. But like, I, I don't. Like, I want to create stuff, right? Like, um, we're in a very sort of consumer society, and like, it's hard for me to just kind of right. sit down and just like watch Netflix, right? Like, it's not not really that interesting right. to me most of the time. Like, I want to be doing something. So, right. I mean, even today, I was I'm work thinking about working on another project with uh, uh, Ariel Lieti, you know, a comedian that I've done some work with, and um. I got like this like Twitch streaming idea that yeah. uh, we mess around with, and that, that's right. my thing. Like, I want to get yeah. I w- like, yeah, in a professional way. I really want to get this thing uh, going, and I have a lot of interest on stage and off stage. That um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what I can uh, we'll see what I can do. But I'm excited about it. Right. Yeah, I think it's always like you just find the th- we talked about this on your. Uh, it's like if you're like talented things are just going to fall into what they are i mean you know it's it's so interesting to look at someone like the actor uh ken jong yeah, like you yeah. know as a comedian yeah. as a comedian yeah like when he was doing you know and he was popcorn in the like i guess 80s and 90s with his like half doctor half comedian thing but it wasn't until the hangover that he became yeah it, like you a know, superstar it's like no matter where you hit. Yeah, well, like, look at like uh, look at Rodney Dangerfield, who got uh, popular after yeah. um, much yeah, later in life. Sure. You know, um, I, I I always yeah. think that that concept's interesting, right? Like, because uh, everyone always looks at like a Kevin Hart or someone like that, and they're like, oh, like that guy just blew up. Like he just did that thing and he blew up. It's like, no, he's been doing stand up forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's been working these clubs yeah. and bowling alleys and you know I, all these crazy shows and. Yeah. Uh, that's why he's as good as he is because he's he's yeah. done the reps. Yeah, I do think he blew up fast. You know, I, I always feel like there's people that blow up really fast, and I always feel so bad for them because it feels like whenever they're there, like it always feels like there's a there's a drop off where, and it's similar to being a wrestling fan too. Like you see that with like John Cena, you see someone get super popular and then people drop off, and they sort of like negate everything the person has done right just because they're at that level like i saw that with amy schumer like it's so funny i used to be a pretty big fan of hers in like you know 2008 and then in 2015 she became super popular and i didn't like any of the stuff she was doing but i wanted to like go to people and be like go look at her stuff from 2004 to 2008 she's funny (laughs) it's just the stuff now i can't (laughs) But it's the same thing with, like, a Dane Cook or, like, you know, uh, like, Kevin Hart. People just blow up at a certain point. And, you know, it's just, like... I think a a lot of it is, uh, for whatever reason, comedy fans, like, love to, like, hate for some reason, you know? Like, uh, when when you're up, you're up. And then, like, I, like, for conversations I have with people that are, like, like, for instance, someone like Kevin Hart is, like, yeah, I don't think he's funny. It's like I was like, you're out of your mind. Like you may not like his stuff. Like the guy's funny, you know. Um, right. Like 
to me, I never say that anymore. Like, to me, I always say, like, they're not my, like, preference. But the thing that always annoys me is when someone is technically good yeah. or, like, skilled, and they just physically <laughs> don't make me laugh. And they just physically aren't my sense of humor. Like, you know, it's it's so funny. Like, I would get, like, you know, when I was younger in comedy, doing comedy, it's like I would be so, like, you know, pissed off that someone didn't know who George Carlin was or didn't think he was funny. But I'm the same way with, uh, with um, what's his name? Eddie Murphy. Like, he's one guy, like, to me, he's, like, my opinion on him is that he is charisma, like, exactly. more charisma-based. I think that's fair. Like, he's not the writer that, you know, a Cosby or a Pryor is. He was, uh, like, a superstar. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get what you mean. It's, you know uh, I, mean? I, I, I can see that because, like, yeah, I would say Cosby is a more technical writer than Eddie. Um, Eddie, you know, look, Eddie, Eddie has good stuff, too. But, like, I, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. So, I, it's always so funny, like, people, like, hear that and they'll like, they have like this blasphemous when you say it, like, oh yeah, yeah I don't mind yeah. Eddie Murphy. That's funny. <laughs> it's like I think he's talented for sure. I think he's, you know, he just has that, you know, it factor of just like I think people just have that, like you know, you just well, you, know, you have that everyone definitely does, you know, like and uh, the guy is able to like yeah, I mean, single handedly save SNL, right? Like the guy is able to uh, run an entire yeah. project, which is something sure. that is pretty hard to do. Um, I, you know, I have all kinds of like comedic interests. Actually, I think, um, it's that place called like the Bell House or like Bell Theater or something like that. I think it's I, I caught like, uh, Maria Bamford right. maybe three, three years ago. And like, that's, yeah, and that's someone that like, I've oh, always really? thought was funny. Like, everything she's ever done, I was like, this, this is one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. I have an interesting thing about her is that, like, when I first, before, I, when I really got into being a comedy nerd in, like, 2010, I didn't get her at all. I just didn't get it at all. I didn't know it worked. Like, I thought it was too weird. And then the second time I did stand-up, I was listening yeah, to yeah. her, she, and I was like, literally, she's a fucking literally genius. genius. Um, I, I look <laughs> at some, someone like her. I look at, like, like uh, oh. Stanhope, who's, like, the, the probably... Besides, oh, yeah. like a tell, um, um, and you know, of course, Louis, who's on the kind of side of things right now, but like, uh, I think Stanhope might be uh, the best living comic. Um, you know, like I said, I, you could oh, throw yeah. a tell right, right in that slot, but uh, I, I just like the way that oh, yeah. his mind works and just how sort of brave it is for him to have taken this sort of really out there career path, like, more people should know about him, and it's a shame that they don't, but he's, yeah. he's one of the most brilliant people that's ever uh, touched the microphone. Yeah. yeah. I, I always feel that way. Like, to me, that's one of my things is, like, whenever I get really into a comedian, I'm always, like, annoyed that they don't get, you know, because I think, you know, there's only so many avenues now for people to get really popular on. So... You know, it's always funny. Like, I always think, like, you know, I wish there was, you know, I wish it was like it was, you know, 30 years ago when you could go on, or maybe 40 years ago when you could go on Johnny Carson and that was it. Now I know I have friends and people that I know who have done, you know, Jimmy Fallon and stuff like that. And then they're back at 
do an open mic like the next week. It's like yeah, so hard. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's difficult in some ways. It's uh, in some ways, depending on what you're going for, there's easier aspects to it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Like uh, trying to reference this against sort of the uh, that boom that was like you know that early '80s '90s boom. It's like that sort of sitcom era. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say it's harder, but I think um, rightfully so, because like, if you really l- go back and look at a majority of the acts from that time, like, it didn't well <laughs> well for them, you know? Um, oh, that, yeah. that 15 minutes oh, yeah. uh, was fast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I want to go back to this. Uh, so we mentioned a couple of people, like Siobhan and stuff. Do you have uh, like, I have people that I'm a fan of, but also there's other people that are, like, more influential to me. Do you have people that you would say are your influences? Do you have any? Sorry, are you there? just want to make sure you hear me. Okay, yeah, oh, no, sorry. I, heard, I but, uh, didn't know if you heard me. Yeah, yeah I had... um. Okay. I definitely have a lot of influences, right? So um, one of my early influences, of course, like uh, I would listen to prior CDs and stuff like that, but like Robin Harris, um, who had this album right. uh, called Baby's Kids that became like a movie sort of. Um, he's one of my comedy like influences. Uh, similar type of person, just a different era. Right. Patrice O'Neill is definitely like up there as one of my like biggest comedy influences. Oh, yeah. uh, early Dave, you know, like... Um, those three acts really, I think, define sort of my foray into comedy. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is, like, I don't do stand-up like any of them. Like, yeah. Patrice has that sort of, you know, abrasive kind of, like, uh, yeah. I'm the I'm going to make like, you kind of hate me before you love me type, type yeah. of stand-up. Um, yeah. Robert, yeah. It's always interesting to me that, I don't mean to cut you off, but uh, it's just interesting to me that how some people have, like, people that influence them and like they look up to that they aren't yeah. like, and I think that's, you know, normal. And then there's people like me who have certain people who I feel like, you know, like I'm very similar to, like, if you listen to like, you know, not what he does now, particularly with the storytelling stuff, like the one man show stuff, but early sure. night for Biglia, I relate to a lot uh, with, you know, my stand up is like similar to, uh, um, one of the biggest like influences that I have is uh, he died a couple of years ago. I don't oh, know. No, Chandling, yeah. and, uh, Gary Shandling. Yeah. So he's one of like those guys that like I was related to and always influenced me, which is like, you know, it's so, it's so hard to say now, like to certain people, cause like Louie and, you know, it's like, you know, but I think that's like, everyone has a generation. Like to me, I, uh, I don't know if you were, yeah, this I think everyone is where you kind of like sound like oh. certain people when you start. Like I was guilty of sounding like Mark Marin. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> that was what it was for the first two years was like this little Mark Marin Louis. Yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> called myself um, early doing like uh, a little bit too much of like a Chappelle, and there was a second there where I. I Sorry. 
Ready? 